Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I'll pray and we'll jump right in. Lord, uh, thank you for another day. Thank you that we're inching closer to the, to the memory of your coming and the anticipation of your return. Lord, this Advent season is about you and everyone else is trying to make it about anything other than you. But we're your people, your sons and daughters, and we want to refocus our lives based on your coming and based in anticipation of your second coming, we want to live like your kids. So Holy Spirit of God, as we look back at what happened in Jesus' being born, Lord, I pray that there be a new birth in our hearts and our mindsets and the way that we live and the way that we treat people and the way that we love. Lord, help us to live more like Jesus in your name. And everybody said, uh, amen. So Christmas is about the coming of a real king. Uh, we sang a song just a moment ago about the king who's coming. And unfortunately, we're living in a world that mostly doesn't have kings or lifelong leaders. There are certain places, but most of our societies, we elect our leaders. Uh, the UK just had their election last weekend, and we're already hearing talks about the upcoming elections, even though it's like a year away. So it makes Matthew and the beginning of Matthew sound a little strange. Why does Matthew start with a genealogy and why does he present Jesus as a king? Here's why. Matthew's writing at a time where kings and Caesars really ruled. So power was in the birth. He didn't elect anybody. Power was in the birth of a leader. And so when a new Caesar is born, a gospel is sent out to the empire, literally, a good news of Caesar and then Caesar Augustus or Caesar Nero, Caesar Domitian, whoever, a Caesar, a power has been born. And there was a sense that it was God at work through the child. And that's why Matthew begins with the real birth of a real king. But we don't get that nuance because we don't think of leaders as babies as they did. And by the way, power had everything to do with your life. You were hoping that the next leader born was a good one because you had no control over your destiny. And so the power in charge led to your life's blessing or ruin. So the change of power was huge for us. Again, we don't think, we think in four-year cycles or two-year cycles. But in Matthew's days, writing to people who are living under a real king, but yet, he reminds them another one's born. That's why Matthew starts with a genealogy, because the Caesars could trace their genealogy. And in the same way, we see, and we saw a couple of weeks ago in our series, that, that Jesus is connected to Abraham, the father of the faith. And he's connected to David, God's greatest king. He's from a royal line. And this is important, because while there's someone else ruling, he wants to remind God's people, God has come. And he's come to rule. But we saw that Jesus isn't just a human king. Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Mary gives birth to a child, yes, but this is not an ordinary child. This is not an ordinary king conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is told by the angel, don't reject Mary. This is God's doing. This is the way that God is going to rule his world. It doesn't seem to make sense. If you're going to be born a king, you need to be born in a palace. Everyone needs to come and worship this new leader. But instead, Jesus is born in an obscure place, in an obscure way. But don't let the obscurity 
keep you from seeing God knows what he's doing. And now we're going to look uh, this morning at what do we see about Jesus' birth. So Matthew 2, we'll start in uh, verse 1 and we'll read through verse uh, 12. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born? King. King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the peoples, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? Quote, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. Then he quotes from Micah the prophet 700 years before this, this time period. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now when Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report it to me. So that I too may go, I may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went out on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. Until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down. And they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by, by another route. So here's what we see. We've got lots of options. Um, I don't know, some of you are old enough to remember the time when Christmas was about Christmas. And it would, it would have been weird when I grew up as, as a kid, even though I grew up in New York, which had a huge Jewish population, to not call Christmas Christmas. That would have been weird. As a matter of fact, you would say, Merry Christmas, whether someone was a Christian or not, because the option was, what's well, Christmas, you celebrate Jesus, or you at least give gifts, but Jesus is in obscurity. But, and now we've got lots of options, don't we? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Uh, happy winter celebration. I love it. Even in watching just in our kids and going to school and, and noticing the obscurity of these winter parties. We're having a party celebrating wet weather. This makes no sense to me at all. And the last thing we want to do is, oh my gosh, we might offend someone by saying this Christmas. Even though for 2,000 years this has been celebrated, it's a fact. It's re remembering an event. We don't want to offend anyone by calling it what its name is. It's Christmas. Now, oh, by the way, what's happening in our culture isn't new, and we're going to see that. Uh, one event happens, but there's lots of options. And what we're going to see this morning is that when Jesus is born, there are lots of options and people opt for different things. So what's happening now is just cycling back what happened then. And I just want to look, there's more. I want to look at just three this morning, three options, three choices that lead us to three different places. And we'll see it. It's quite obvious. First thing, write it down. There are options. There are two kings. Did you notice in what we read, there wasn't just Jesus the king. There is Herod the king. And the question remains, and this is what we need to ask ourselves this Christmas or every day. What leader are you going to follow? 
Matthew presents us with options. You don't have to follow Jesus. You can actually follow Herod. Verse 1 tells us about the birth. I love it. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Move on. No stable. There's no talk about angels and shepherds. Just Bethlehem. Why do you need to know Bethlehem? Remember, uh, Matthew's telling us the story of a greater than David king being born. If you don't know what that means, just listen to the last two podcasts. That Jesus is from the line of God's anointed after God's own heart, David, now one even greater than David, has come. Where is David from? Well, Bethlehem. So if you're new to the Bible, you may not make the connection, but everyone that's reading it who knows their Bible in his day gets it. Bethlehem had a special place. It's a tiny, tiny village. As a matter of fact, you don't see much in all of ancient history about Bethlehem and Nazareth. The places where Jesus are referred to, his birth and where he was where he was raised, or very, very small, but it had a rich history back in the day. The forefathers, Jacob, uh, who's a long, long, long distant relative, relative to Jesus, his wife Rachel was giving birth, and she died in Bethlehem, and that's where she's buried. She died giving birth to Benjamin. So Benjamin, who's in the line of King David, uh, he's from Bethlehem, and then David is born in Bethlehem, and so Bethlehem actually became known as the city of David. So all Matthew wants you to know about Jesus' birth, what was it like? Bethlehem. That's where he was born. Why? Because a real king has been born. And so, yes, Jesus wasn't born in a palace, but that doesn't make him less than a king. He's born in the place of royalty. He's born in the city of David. But there's another king on the throne. You need to catch that. It's King Herod. We saw all about him. Herod the Great, this, there's multiple Herods. There's another Herod at the time of Jesus' death. But this is King Herod, who's not really a king, but he actually lobbied Caesar to be called king. Egomaniac. And he ruled in the land of Judah from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., and he was known as a great leader. He was able to champion all these beautiful buildings. As a matter of fact, the temple that Jesus worshipped in was rebuilt by this Herod, Herod the Great. So he was, a, he was a savvy political leader because he had the Jewish people who felt like leadership to this land, and then he had Caesar in Rome who had leadership over the empire, and he was great because he was able to navigate politics well, and, and tighten his rule. But as he grew older, he got a little paranoid that someone was going to try to overthrow him from power. This is all history, by the way. I'm not making this up. So he had three of his sons killed because he was afraid that they were going to take him out. He had his wife killed. He had close friends and other relatives killed as he got closer to the end because he was afraid that they were going to kill him. And you thought you had family issues. Think about it. Christmas dinner could be tough, but not as tough as this. Quote from Caesar Augustus, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son, end quote. Wow. So a king is born in no man's land. Ah, but it's not no man's land. It's the city of David. But there is another king on the throne. Now, if some of you who know Mathwell said, uh, confused, because Herod the Great, the King Herod, he ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. So just a little side note. This is four years before Jesus was born because Jesus was born in year zero, right? How could that be? Well, some of you figured this out 
It's actually uh, a mess up 600 years later. This is useless uh, Christmas trivia, but, but 600 years later, a guy named uh, Dionysus Exegus, he was changing the calendar. The calendar had begun on the Roman calendar rule. They had their own calendar. But in light of the, the growth of Christianity, the, the movement made in 600 years after Jesus to move time to reflect Jesus' coming, the only unfortunate thing for the poor guy is he didn't have the accurate time of Herod's death. So the numbers are totally off. So Jesus is born no later than 6 B.C. Oops. Which is proof, guys, you got to learn math. you got to learn math, folks. Kids, math matters. Because, so does it mean the Bible's wrong? Absolutely not, because the Bible never refers to it. It's just 600 years later, somebody messed up. And oh, and I hate to bust another bubble, but Jesus probably wasn't born in December. Um, the time when Luke refer, refers to the shepherds being out at night, it has to do with the time that, that sheep would give birth even in the middle of the night, which means it was probably spring. That would be more the season. And so why the, December 25th? Well, by the time it was celebrated on that day, it was already a day off for people. It was like a national holiday. So they said, well, if we're going to worship Jesus, wouldn't it be great to do it on a day off? And so they ended up making it December the, the 25th. This doesn't contradict the Bible. It also has nothing to do with the Bible. It's just sometimes traditions are on, sometimes traditions are off. So I could see, like, I'm the joy killer for Christmas. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, enough about that. Let's move on to, let's move back to Herod before you all leave. And, and right now I can see some of you like, is that true? Yes, it's true. All right, Herod, what does he do? Herod calls uh, for the Magi because he hears about a competitive king. Now, now this makes sense, right? When you're willing to kill your own sons, when you're killing your own wife, you hear about any other king being born, you're willing to take them out too. And so he tracks down the Magi and he says, hey, I want to worship them too. So notice, there are two kings that are set up. There's Herod, who's cruel, and then there's Jesus, who's God's chosen one. Herod, who's off, and Jesus, who's going to make things right. This is not new. If you're familiar with the Bible, this has cycled through history multiple times. As a matter of fact, this is reminiscent of Moses. Do you remember that Moses is born and Moses is going to be the deliverer, but there's Pharaoh who's not walking in right with God. Pharaoh's in charge, but God has a deliverer. So this kind of parallel of God, what he did, he will do. What he does now, he will do again. This, this isn't new information. It's just Jesus is greater than. And then you have David. When David is anointed as king, you remember there's another king in power whose name is Saul, and Saul is not in his right mind, and he's not following Yahweh, and he's doing his own thing. And so this competitive nature, there's options. And the question is, and the reason the writer writes, is to ask you. It's not about an ancient history lesson. It's not, was Jesus born in the spring or December the 25th? That's not the point. Matthew doesn't tell us anything. He just says he was born in Bethlehem. Here's the real question. What leader are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Herod? Are you going to follow Saul? Are you going to follow Pharaoh? Are you going to follow the heart of God? Are you going to listen to human kings? Or are you going to listen to God's messenger? What leader are you going to follow? And it also reminds us, when God is working, there's always going to be opposition. We want a clean, sanitized, perfect scenario, don't we? We want our lives to go upward, don't we? We want to start with no money and gain a little money and end with a lot of money. We want things to start well and go better and get better. 
And yet that's not the way of God always. And it could be in the middle of severe opposition, God's doing amazing things. This is a word for us at Christmas. In the middle of the worst season of life, God could be bringing new life. Because there's a real king, Jesus, and we're called to follow him. All right, second thing, there's two groups. So there's two kings, we saw that. But now there's two groups. Notice, there's the Magi and there's the Jewish leaders. The chief priests and the teachers of the law. These are the people who know the Bible well and represent God to the people. And so it's interesting. You see a comparison. Which group are you going to belong to? Now, we were told what happened, but that's not Matthew's point. Matthew's writing the good news that you would follow Jesus. So what leader are you going to follow? Now he wants to know, what group are you going to get caught up in? Look at verse 4. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was going to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea. And they quote, um, they quote the ancient prophet, right? For this is, what was, this is what the prophet had written. Now, it was to be in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just like less than seven miles from Jerusalem. I want you to catch this because this is ironic. There's word spreading. This happens, by the way, two years after Jesus is born. So rumors starting to spread that something happened in Bethlehem that's just not ordinary. A child has been born, but this is more than a child. This could be God's answer to this ancient prophecy. Because when Herod asks, why, where, where's, where's it going to be some Messiah born they're quick. They open their Bible and they say, well, it's going to happen in Bethlehem. It's only seven miles. So the Magi, they travel for days, weeks, months. We don't know where they come from exactly, but they came a long way. And here's what we don't read. We don't read about the chief priests and teachers of the law traveling seven miles to check it out. Isn't that funny? These others, foreigners, have come a long way because someone may have been born that could be from God. They verify, hey, Herod, we know the town, but they don't go there. Now, isn't that intriguing? Now, what do we know about the Magi? Well, here's what, here's what we know. We know, we, we know with no confidence that there were three. You know, the, the three wise men. Well, we have no idea. It doesn't say that there were three. People get the three from the idea that there were three gifts. And so everyone carries one gift. <laughs> there could have been 50 of them. We have no idea if there were three. But traditions are so funny. Um, in other traditions from other ancient translations, we call them the three kings. Now, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, and in Spain and in former Spanish colonized places, there's three kings day, which is actually January the 6th. So growing up, there's Christmas on the 25th, but January 6th is when you got your presents because the three kings came after Jesus' birth. So while, while everyone's rejoicing, people in Spain and other places are waiting for the three kings. Now, fortunately, we grew up in Brooklyn, so it's like 25th. I'm not waiting for the 6th. In Puerto Rico, if they want to do that, fooey on them. I want my presents now. Anyway, we did it on the 25th. But the three, the th the three kings, like, we don't, we don't know if they were kings. We don't know what they were. Um, here's what we do know. They studied the stars. Now, this just wasn't a pastime. You've got to think about how people knew what they knew. How do you know anything? Well, there are people who believe that, that we see what the gods are doing 
up in the sky. They, they're speaking to us in what, is, what has been displayed. So we call it astrology today. And this wasn't just seen as a kooky side practice. This is how people knew what they knew. Do you know you could chart yourself across the water by looking at the stars? Which is pretty awesome, right? There's fixed star points and then the seasons. So, so that we see, but they just took it to these are signs. And so we know that there were astrologers and we know that they were into the secret arts. We know that they were seen as people that you should listen to. Now, there's nothing wrong with astronomy. I mean, thank God for the stars. Thank God for the beauty of all God's made. And looking at that and saying, wow, look at what you've done, God, is great. But we're never supposed to get direction from the stars. And that's why the people of God know they're off. You don't follow these leaders. You don't follow their direction because as God's people were to look to God the creator, never the creation. You don't look to the trees for wisdom. You don't look to the wind. You don't look to the water. You don't look to the mountains. As a matter of fact, God said, don't make any images about me. You don't even know what I look like. And everything that I've made is less than me. Don't be guided by nature. Follow the creator. Well, we know that they weren't, but here's the crazy part. God's leading them. Boy, that will mess you up. Man, I wish they just followed Jesus. They would have direction in their life. Could it be that God's leading them right now? God is leading, hear me, God is leading people who don't go to church as we know it, who don't read the Bible as we know it, and God is leading them. And here's the parallel. Two groups here. You have the group that knows the Bible not being led by God. You have the group that is not following the Bible actually being led by God. And you're supposed to go, something's wrong with that. I don't want to be in the wrong group. That's the response. The reason Matthew's writing is that you would respond. He's not writing to give you information. He's writing for you to check your own soul to see where you are at Christmas. Now here's what we also know. There were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They didn't know the Bible. They had to have the chief priest tell them what the word of God said. We know that they're outsiders. These are not people that are close to the presence of God because every time the word magos, which is from where we get the word magi, is used in the New Testament, and it's used multiple times, it's always in a negative light. Simon the magos, the sorcerer. It's never used in a positive light. But here's the crazy thing. They don't have the Bible as we have it. God's leading them. They are not part of the people of God, but yet they're looking for Jesus. And this is weird. The very people, so you have two groups of people who have the same set of information. The teachers of the law know Bethlehem is the place, but they're not looking for Jesus. Yet the outsiders are looking in. Only one group is looking and pursuing and willing to go all the way. They're willing to go to Herod, the king, and say, listen, we've come from afar. <laughs> they're kind of crazy. A king has been born in your kingdom. That's risky. But they want to know where is the child? So the question is, what group are you a part of? You see where this is heading. What leader are you going to follow? What group are you a part of? And here's the crazy thing. The very people who have access to God's leadership sometimes are the people who are not listening. The very people who should know what God is doing, what God is saying, are the very people who are blind, deaf, dumb, and mute. And people who are far off get glimpses of God. 
that we overlook. Wow. That's not your average Christmas story. All right, final. Uh, there's, so there's two different leaders, two different kings. There's two different groups. And then the last thing we see is there's two different responses here. I want you to catch this. How are you going to respond? Verse 7. Herod called the, the Magi secretly. And he found out from them the exact time the star they appeared. So he's doing the calculations. So he sent to Bethlehem and said, Go and search for the child as soon as you find him. Report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, this wasn't going to take a great census. Some think that there were, you know, probably 20 or 30 kids who would have been about Jesus' age in Bethlehem at the time. So, this didn't take, this didn't take very long. This is, like, this is like not even a neighborhood. Bethlehem is just this little spot. And so, as we're going to look at next week, if you just keep reading, we already know the Christmas story, which makes it hard to actually learn from because we know it or we think we know it. So we know that Herod's going to look to kill Jesus instead of worshiping. We know that he has no intention of doing it. So I want us to see like we have a, we're given like a real contrast here. There are people who are close. The chief priests and the teachers of the law are physically in Jerusalem seven miles away. They know the Bible. They know the prophecies. They know what God has done. And you have this contrast of responses because the people who come from far off and have a different background and a different understanding, they get what God is doing and God's own people don't get what he's doing. The insiders are really on the outside and the outsiders allowed on the inside. And you see it all over Matthew and you see it all over the teaching of Jesus. We'll look at the Sermon on the Mount uh, once we finish Ephesians and it's going to come up again and again and again this Weird way of doing things. Sometimes people who seem like they're on the outside are actually on the in. And sadly, some people who seem like they're on the in, close to Jesus, walking his way, are actually on the out. But Matthew gives us a contrast. Jesus is the Savior of all. The Magi, the wise men, the three kings, whoever they are, they are a part of telling what God has done. Now, why include why include this in the beginning? This is kind of scandalous, not to us because we've sanitized Christmas. But to the early readers, if you were Jewish and you come from God's people and you read God's Torah and you live God's way, you don't have a high view of non-Jews. You just don't. Culturally, they're on the outside. They're excluded. Even though God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through you for lots of reasons, some good, some just dumb. By the time of Jesus, the, the Gentiles were on the outside. We are the people of God, you're not. Right at the beginning, by chapter 1, we see that there are Gentiles in Je Jesus' genealogy. And he does it on purpose. Why? On Christmas Eve, I'll give you a little hint of where I'm going. We're actually not going to look at the Christmas story. We're going to look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Because Matthew 1 and Matthew 28 are completely tied. And everything God wanted to do in sending us to the world goes back to the genealogy of Jesus. Everything that, that Jesus is going to say, go into all the world. Make followers of me. Leans back to if God can use any one of these people on the list, certainly he can use you. So Gentiles are included in God's story, and they're invited to worship 
Here's why Jesus is the Savior, not just for the Jews. Jesus is the Savior for the whole world. And so what we're seeing early on in the story is who's going to announce that Jesus has arrived. Interestingly, it's Gentiles. Now, why is Matthew putting this on the upfront? Here's why I think I could be wrong. Here's why I think. Because by the time Matthew is writing, many who were of the Jewish background rejected Jesus as Messiah. But people who didn't have a Jewish background were flooding the church. Absolutely flooding the church. And this mission of Jesus and this good news is going to people. And the least likely people are saying yes. And the most likely people are saying we're not sure. And this is interesting how God's kingdom works But I think that Matthew puts it early on in the story to let you know this is no surprise to God. This isn't an accident. What God was doing from the beginning was making one people, Jew and non-Jew, together under the leadership of Jesus. So the nature of the good news is the call and God's invitation to come. Uh, Two kings, Herod, is invited to come and worship because Jesus is the real king, and Herod decides, no, thank you, I'd rather get rid of him. The religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the chief priests, they have an opportunity. God gives them a message through these foreign friends, these astrologers who come and say, hey, we've followed a star. Something in the heavens is saying that God's about to fulfill his promise to bring. How did they even know this? I don't know. But the, there's, a king has been born. He's giving them a message like knocking on the door of their brain. I'm coming. I've come. And guess what? They do not respond well. And yet, what do you find? The astrologers encounter Jesus with his mother Mary, and they bow down and they worship. At this point, you should be mad. Christmas is quite upsetting, isn't it? The least likely people are the first to be presented as worshiping Jesus as the king. And the most likely people are nowhere to be found. Holy, free holies. You want to talk about a Christmas message? I'll give you the the parallel. The place is packed on December the 24th with all sorts of people in their Christmas best, with their Christmas roast in the oven. And at home are all the trees and the presents and the unending, boring Christmas songs playing in the background. All that's happening. And for an hour, they come into this room filled with white and snow machines and glorious music and all this stuff. And here's, here's, here's the drama. The people who go to church and know the Bible don't worship Jesus. Oh, and they sing some songs. But in their heart, Jesus isn't a true king. And for the other 364 days of the year, Jesus is okay. But then you have people who come in who got invited, who maybe like don't think that they're loved by anyone, let alone by God. And someone was kind enough to give them a little, very, very killer card, by the way. Um, the little, someone gave them a little invite. And they said, yeah, you know what, for Christmas, sure, why not? Seems like a good thing. And they encountered the presence of Jesus, and they become a worshiper. And that's the interesting thing that could happen. Now, the ideal world is everyone gives in and loves Jesus, and it's great. 
But if I read Matthew 1 right, I begin to wonder who's the most likely to actually worship. And sometimes it's the people who feel the farthest away. Don't let that be the story. The invitation is for you to come. Churchgoer or random church attender. Leader or new to the faith. Someone who's firmly grounded and knows the Bible well or someone who's struggling just to figure out what God said in this book because it doesn't seem to make sense. Either way, the invitation is to come and actually worship Him. All right, practical note. Who are your least likely? Who are they? To state the obvious, this is the greatest, easiest time to invite people to consider Jesus because it's like, it's happy holidays time. It's winter festive season. Oh, it's actually Christmas. This is the greatest time of the year for us, even better than Easter, because Easter is very, very like Jesus died, rose again. Wow. Christmas is like, oh, there's a baby in a manger. I can deal with that. But this is actually an opportunity for people to encounter the presence of Jesus and hear his voice and follow him. And so I would just say to you, please invite 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 people, or the 16 that you know. Invite everybody. Because the least likely sometimes are the most likely to hear God's voice and follow Jesus, if we'll believe it. The question is, do we believe? Well, this morning you're invited to worship. I hope this has struck you in a way that makes you think like, oh my gosh, I actually have to think about my faith. The answer to that is yes. But you're invited. That's Matthew 2. This is about the invitation for everyone to come and recognize that a king has been born and his name is Jesus. And so what we want to do this morning is to recognize him as king. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you would. And we're going to worship in a bunch of ways. If you need prayer for anything, I'm going to invite you this morning uh, to, while we're singing, to just make your way out to the right. There's a little sign there. There's a room right across the hall. And you can pray with someone about anything. If you feel like you're far from God, maybe this morning you say, man, I'm not even, I don't know if I'm following Jesus. I would invite you this morning, this morning, be like the wise men. Be like the magi who got up because they had sensed God was doing something. They got up and they went to see for themselves what God has done. And so it's not an exact parallel. Jesus isn't going to find you in that prayer room. But I'm going to invite you to get up and, and to leave your seat and to talk with someone and say, you know what? Something struck me about this Jesus that seemed new. Can we, can we pray about that? I want to follow him. We're going to take communion in a little bit. We're going to remember that Jesus isn't just a baby, but Jesus was born to die, to take away our sin, to bring us to life. And for the rest of us, we just love Jesus. Let's just worship him, okay? Lord, thank you that the invitation is still now and today. And so, Lord, we want to be found faithful. We don't want to be like the most likely who don't even make our way to investigate for ourselves. We want to be those who are like the Magi, who pursue, who go and search and seek. And when we know that you're there, and we know that you're near, that we bow and, and we worship and we give. We say, God, here you are. We are your servants. You are the rightful king. We follow you. Lord, whatever it is that's keeping me from following Jesus, I pray that you'll expose it by the Holy Spirit this morning so that I can fully follow you with my life not just with gold and frankincense and myrrh, but with everything that you've given, everything that you've made me to be. 
We want to worship you, King. King Jesus, we want to worship you. So Lord, revolutionize Christmas for us this morning, even as we respond in worship. In Jesus' name.